All right, this is the time in our service when we come into contact with the words of God. There's a million words spoken and read and shouted at you all week long. These words are different. These are divine words. These are spirit-given words. We're just going to swim deep in two verses of them today, but that they, they have the power to change us and to correct us and to encourage us. And so as we give ourselves to the words of Scripture, our posture should be humility and trust. Humility and trust that we'll listen and we'll believe and we'll say yes to what the Father would have for us in these words of Scripture. As far as my words intersect with and are helpful to you to bring to you the meaning and the truth of the words of Scripture, that's a good job. So as I put the words up on this screen and I use my words, may they make a difference in your heart and your soul this morning. In December, we're going to preach on the joy that comes with Christmas. Today, I'm dealing with the opposite emotion. I want to spend some time dealing with you on depression or just when we get down, when we get down. That is real in the holidays for a lot of people. And so I want to prepare your heart, if that's you, who's going to endure that kind of downcastedness, or if the Lord's going to bring you in contact with others who are struggling for different reasons over the holidays. So may this sermon propel you into receiving from God and giving to others as we get there. All right, let me start with a story to set this up. I've got a friend. His name is Josh. He's planning a church up in Portland, Maine. In the fray of doing that work, he finds that he, he tends to get really down. You know what I mean by that? Your spirits, they just get down. Sometimes the word we'll use for that is spiritual depression. All of the weight, all of the difficulty, all of the angst, all of the heaviness of this call, and he just gets down. I'm sure that all of us get there in different seasons at different times. He gets there. He's trying to foster a community of authenticity, of walking in the light with his people. And so I was talking with him, and he told me that he shared that fact with a couple in the life of his church. It was a couple that was moving toward influence in the life of the church. He was hoping that they would be great on mission with him and making disciples. So he invited them into this. Hey, I get down, and I'm really down right now. And do you know what the response was specifically of the woman in this couple to his confession, his confiding in her of this reality in him? So the first thing that she tried to do was she tried to fix him. She tried to fix him. She's a Portland, Maine girl, which is very similar to a Melrose, Massachusetts girl, so she rushed right away to what solution? Come on, there's a Whole Foods right down the block nutrition. And she told him he had a sugar problem. That was the problem. And if he would manage his sugar properly, that would solve the root of the things that were getting him down. And she ran him through this whole routine. Diet and exercise are important and very helpful with depression. There's no question about that. But those things are never the central solution to the downcastedness of our souls. And so he showed her grace, they worked on his diet, but the sugar was not the thing. She tried a couple of other things, and she couldn't fix him, and over the course of a few months, he was down. He was just down, enduring the work. And at some point, 
She stopped trying to fix him, and she flipped on him. He was no longer a project for her. He became a problem. These are the kind of things that she said to him. Somebody who really loves Jesus, somebody who really understands the gospel and really believes it, somebody who was a mature spiritual leader, they wouldn't get down like this. They wouldn't get depressed. They wouldn't have dark nights of the soul like you have them. That's kind of weak and soft. And there must be some sin in there that is causing this. Something is wrong with you. That's what she said to him. And then over the course of a couple of months, she ended up leaving the church. She bailed out on this guy. Does everyone feel that? Her response to a Christian brother who was down was frustration and disappointment and then accusation and judgment and eventually rejection. That's real. All right, here's our question that we're dealing with from the words of Scripture today. Is that how God is disposed toward us when we get down? Is that God's way with us? All right, Scripture's answer is a resounding no. Let's pray as we begin to hear these words together. Father, we get down. We've got decades coming when we will be down a lot. I pray that the words of Scripture today would never leave us from this moment, but that we would receive them and believe them and be changed by them. So visit us in this time under your word, I pray. Amen. Okay, fast context of the words of Scripture. The words that Allison read to us come from the biblical text called 2 Corinthians. It's the second letter that we have written by Apostle and Pastor Paul to the Christians in the city of Corinth. He was writing to them a second time. The people in this church were unbelievably messed up, very messed up. I was trying to come up with good analogies to help you with this. They made the Kardashians look like a happy Mennonite family in Lancaster. They made the MBTA look like a very well-run organization. Do you feel that? This was the church of Corinth. Here's the list. Division, gossip, slander, lawsuits against each other, all kinds of pride and arrogance and heresy, every single spot on the sexual sin spectrum, they were there. But they were Jesus' people, and Paul was their apostle and their pastor. In love, he sent them the first letter, which was a letter of discipline, of correction, of rebuke, to tell them, you need to stop sinning in these ways. You need to repent and obey the commands of Jesus. You need to move toward each other in love and be holy. That's 1 Corinthians. When they got that letter and they read it, Most of them responded really well. They repented. They dealt with their issues. They embraced the words 
of Paul. Now he's trying to travel back to sit with them and be with them, and he's not quite there yet, but the response is getting back to him about the way that they received his first aggressive letter. And I just want two verses from this second letter to wash over you this morning. Here's the first set of words. Even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. Even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn. There was fighting without and there was fear within. Okay, what is this a description of right here? This is somebody who is down. This is the heaviness of the work that Jesus has called him to is weighing on him. There's some level of spiritual heaviness or depression in here, or at least he's close to it. These are the words of a tired, spent, exhausted, running on fumes, downcast soul. He is down. We've got a fireplace in our house, which is an awesome thing to have in the New England home. But I didn't realize when they were doing the work on our house and they said, let's just put a fireplace over there. And I was like, that's a good idea that you had to buy wood and get it up to your house in order to use the fireplace. I wasn't thinking about that. So three or four weeks ago, a big, big, big pickup truck came with two cords of wood. You know how much two cords of wood is? That's a lot of wood. That's like three years worth of fires. Here's how this works. They say, get everything out of the front of your house. We're going to back up. Then they tip it, and two cords of wood became a pile in front of our house. Now, we live on a 45-degree angle of a hill, if you've ever been over there. How's that wood get from the bottom level of our property all the way to the very back of our property to be stored properly for the next three years? and whatever minions I could get to help me. So you got to get seven or eight logs in your hands, and you got to walk up the hill to the first tier, and then you have a wheelbarrow waiting, and you dump three trips of that much wood into a wheelbarrow. So now you have a 140-pound wheelbarrow. Then you got to get your legs low, and you got to run that thing up the property toward the back. But in order to get to the top level, you got to set up a makeshift ramp with a little plank, and you got to aim it just right so you're wandering uphill. Oh, I get, you got six inches. You get right up there. Then you got to wheel it all the way to the back. Then you have to stack it. Where did Grace find my body when I was done with the first tenth of that work when she came home with the kids? Where was I? Down. Down on the ground in the living room. Down. Do you feel that? That's the man who's writing these words under the inspiration of the Spirit right here. I want us to feel all four of the elements of his exhausted downness. You have to feel this with me. Here's the first one. He said it was physical. Did you see that? Our bodies had no rest. 
There was no TripAdvisor in the first century. There was no Uber to get you from here to there. No Lyft. There was no five-star hotels. There wasn't even like a Red Roof Inn or a Motel 6 or whatever that awful hotel is on the intersection of Route 60 and Broadway, the town line. They didn't even have those. These guys were walking hundreds of miles from city to city in the Roman Empire, hoping that when they got to a city, somebody would believe the gospel so they wouldn't have to sleep on the ground outside just so they could get into somebody else's bed. They were working day and night. Their bodies were grinding. Has anybody here ever been in a strange place for a bunch of nights working very hard, not sleeping on your own bed? Have you been there before? Last year, I went with Brandon to his Camp Berea trip. They take the whole middle school up into the woods, way up there in New Hampshire, for three days and two nights. And uh, they're always looking for dads to come make the trip and be chaperones, so I did it. So we drive up there. This was one of those days when it was 40 degrees the day before we got there, and it rained like crazy. And then overnight, it dropped down to four degrees. So this is just a barren wasteland of a campground, and everything is straight ice the whole time that we're there. And you're loving these kids, and so you're working very hard, and you're going nonstop. And then there's nighttime. They put me in the dorm with five kids, three of whom were awesome, two of whom were wild, wild. Remember all the awesome stuff you did all night when you were in middle school? Not so awesome when you're 40 years old, right? Like the fake insects and the toilet paper everywhere and the flashlights in your eyes. So I let them go until 1 in the morning, and then I was done. About 1.15, this other kid rolled over again, and I grabbed him by the back of the shirt in love. I said, get your sleeping bag and your pillow. We're finding you somewhere else to sleep. Walked around the campground until I found an empty cabin. Pointed to a bed and I said, there, come get me when the sun comes up. I was so exhausted physically at the end of just three days and two nights from doing that work and sleeping in that strange bed and being in that cabin with my son. I got home and I was beat. These guys had months and months of that right there. Months of it. Their bodies were tired, physically down and depressed. There's a physical element to you getting down. Then there's this. He says it was nonstop. Afflicted at every turn. Constant opposition. Every city that they came to. Wall, wall, wall. Jews and Gentiles, both of whom wanted nothing to do with Jesus, Feel this with me. What happens when there's no let up? When there's no let up? When everything is hard and everything is constant? What happens? You just get tired and you can get down. Remember a few years ago when it rained in April or March for like seven straight days, very hard, and the water table rose to epic levels? So we're on a 45 degree hill, but the water was higher than our hill. And so we had a little geyser show up in our basement, just a flood of upward water as, as the seep was happening. For two straight nights, 
Grace and I took turns every 45 minutes of going downstairs with the shop vac, suck up the water, eh, eh, then you know it's filled, dump it out, eh, eh, you'd wake up, do it again. Every 45 minutes for about three straight days, it would not stop. I'm begging Jesus, I'm looking at the ground, I'm pleading with the water, I'm digging trenches outside of my house just to get the water to go somewhere else. Barely slept for those two nights. Do you feel that? You're ready to move to Arizona, right? I will go hug a cactus right now just to get away from water. Relentless. How were we doing at the end of those two days? We were down. We were down. That's this right here. Sometimes it's nonstop and you get down. All right, then he says this. We had enemies fighting without, coming at us, coming at us. Christ has enemies. You have to get used to that. The gospel has enemies and they are relentless at coming at you if you are his. If you set your heart to follow and obey and risk for and work for Jesus you will be opposed by the world and the devil and the old flesh at every single turn. Day after day after day, read the stories. Debates, arguments, accusations, slanders, physical attacks. His Twitter feed blew up every single night he'd wake up to an assault on his character and his work. What happens when you're just getting beat on constantly? from the outside. That can get you down. That can get you down. But not just that. Then he says this, so intense. Fear within. Fear within. Psychological depression, exhaustion. This was so helpful to me. This is the Apostle Paul This is a man who was commissioned personally by the risen Christ. He knew scripture 50 times better than anybody inside of this room. He was planting churches like mad. And he stressed out. Anxiety. Worry. Fears. You know when you can't get those thoughts out of your head? They're in his head, treadmill of anxiousness. In other places, he's explicit about what his worries were, what's going to happen tomorrow. How are the Corinthians doing? Are they still believing the gospel? Was I clear enough with them? Did I teach them well enough? Have they betrayed me in favor of the false apostles? When I get there, are they going to shut the doors in my face? What's going to happen when I pull into town? Will I be welcomed or will I be chased out? Everybody feel that? Fears. Not only is he in a strange bed, physically exhausted, attacked all day, when he's finally trying to siesta, he's got fears and anxiety running through his mind. Does that weigh on you? Wow, I've been there. That is heavy. He's serving Jesus. He's serving the mission of Jesus with all of his heart. But the work is so physically exhausting and so relentless and so opposed and so difficult psychologically 
that he gets down. He gets down. All right, what's the takeaway from this verse? Sometimes we get down even as we faithfully pursue God's calling on our lives. The lady in Maine had it wrong. Sometimes this happens. This is a part of what it means to follow Jesus in a fallen world. The gospel life is a grind. It's heavy. And sometimes you're going to get discouraged and tired and depressed and you will not be doing well. Now this does not just go for pastors, church planters. It goes for all of you anytime that you say yes to God's call on your life. Let me be explicit so that you can feel these four things with me. How about our young moms in the room, right? Is motherhood a calling from God? It's a beautiful calling. How's that when it comes to nonstop stress and exhaustion? (laughs) These little people are dependent upon you for everything all day long. All of it. Food, diapers, discipline, teaching. Half the time you're just hoping they survive to the next morning, right? They, they never go away from you. They're never not your responsibility anymore. Thankfully, we've got all kinds of places of help for that. That is nonstop work. Is it physical work? Yeah, have you ever been around our moms who have little ones or a couple of little ones? It is physically exhausting to care for kids. You're getting older. They're wild with energy that you forgot existed, and they constantly need your physical touch. I've never seen anyone more exhausted than the moms in my life. How about enemies opposing you, giving your heart to your kids? I mean, do we even have to talk about that? All of American culture is set up to make you feel like a fool for having children and embracing godly motherhood. How about fears within? Does anybody get more stressed out than a mom? Then I've had all the conversations in loving you. All the fears that you have about your kids, will they turn out? Am I messing them up? Does my husband still love me? Am I doing the right thing? Does everyone feel all of that? What happens very easily in the life of a young mom? You just get down. All of that can weigh on you. All right, how about a student? We got students in the life of our church. Can that be nonstop for a semester? Come on, we're dealing with Italian class in my house. Nonstop assignments due, projects, expectations. How about physical exhaustion? especially when you're that age, right? You're trying to make a little bit of money. You're trying to stay up and study. Your body just gets beat down. How about fears within for students? What am I going to do? What am I going to be? Am I going to perform? Am I going to succeed? What happens to the students in our homes, in our lives? Where do they end up? They get down, and they're trying to honor God with their mind and with their life. Does everyone feel that? How about work? Is work a calling? 
We get the word vocation from the Latin word voca, which means to call. Your job is a calling from God on your life. That gets physically exhausting sometimes. You know the hours some of the men and the women in our church put in to perform at work and to do well? It's exhausting. Are there enemies at work? Right? It's the curse of Adam. Work was supposed to be a great blessing, and it is that, but now it's a struggle. You're opposed at every single turn. You got psychological stress about work? Can work just come at you day after day like a storm with no relenting? Yes. You're a teacher, you're a surgeon, you're a graphic designer, you're a manager. That can get you down trying to glorify God and serve others through your work. How about a pastor or a church planner? So that's the nature of this text. Easily the last three or four months have been the most down for me in 13 years of leading you. Easily. I'm older. I'm tired. Our church is half the size that we once grew it to. We had over 20 people leave since June. Almost all of them good, good reasons with hugs and warmth. That's tiring. Am I still any good at this? Should I still be leading a church? Is this the right place for my gifts? Why don't I see more fruit? Is something wrong with me? Does everybody feel that? So whether you're a mom or a worker or a student or a pastor, whatever you are, following God's call in your life, can you see how easy it is for you to get down? You get down. That's this text, that's your life, that's my life. Okay, that person right there, tired and downcast, maybe even depressed, depressed. How does God relate to that person? How does God relate to that person? But God, who comforts the downcast. But God, who comforts the downcast. One of the simple ways to read your Bible is to go open your Bible and say, what does this passage teach me about who God is? Isn't that unbelievable that God has made himself known to you in the words of Scripture? He's revealed himself. You can come to the pages of Scripture and say, what does this teach me about who God is? What does Scripture say God is like right here? He is a God who comforts the downcast. Is that the verb that you were expecting in this text. Is that the word that you thought was coming? God comforts. See, not me. Here's what I was expecting. Any of these would have made sense to me. God who gets frustrated with the downcast. God who gets disappointed with us when we get downcast. God who scolds us or lectures us when we get downcast. 
And I wouldn't be surprised with God who gives up on us when we let ourselves get really down and low. Aren't those the ways that we often respond to those who are depressed around us, who are down, who are downcast? How often are we, just like that lady in Maine, with those around us when they get down? We're the opposite of comforting. We start reading them the list of all the things that should have them happy, all the things that they should be thankful for. We lay down ultimatums. You better get up off that ground. You have no business being down there. We ask them all the questions that they cannot answer. You know that list, right? What's the matter with you? Isn't that a horrible question to ask somebody who's just trying to serve Jesus and they're down? How about, don't you have faith? Why don't you believe? Why can't you just feel better? Stand up and get a grip on yourself. We move toward people who are already weighed down and we drop another 100 pounds of weight on their shoulders what we do but what does this text say about God not God God comforts us when we get down he comforts us but God who comforts the downcast this word right here comfort is this awesome Greek word parakleo it means to comfort to embrace to console to cheer like getting down on the ground with them and just wrapping your arms around them for as long as you need to be down there and then slowly lifting them up just to sit with you. It's making their spirits soar. God is actually called paraclete in the scriptures. It's a name of God's. God the Holy Spirit is called your comforter, your comforter. It's literally a title assigned to God. This is who he is at his core for you. When you get down, is God shaking his head in disgust at you for getting down there? Is he disappointed? Is he rolling his eyes? Here we go again. Scripture says that in those long, dark nights of the soul, that God is with us and he is for us and he is there to cheer us and to console us and to comfort us. That's gospel. That's good news. And how does he do it? How does God do it? What are the means of his grace when we are down? Well, the two means of God's grace primarily to us are the word What's happening right now? Somebody speaking gospel to you. And the table, the assurances of our acceptance with him through the body and the blood of Christ, those are his means of grace. His grace gets from him to us through the word and at the table. But he has a host of other means of grace. And here's the one that our text brings out beautifully. It says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us, and don't miss this prepositional phrase, by the coming of Titus. 
God who comforts us when we get down. He did that for us. And here's how he did it. By the coming of Titus. You got God. He's going to get comfort to you. And how does this text say that he does it? Through the devotion and the presence of Titus. Just the presence of Titus in the room. Faithful Titus. Hardworking Titus. Devoted to Jesus Titus. All in on the mission Titus. Just his presence in the room was the means of God's grace and God's comfort to Paul. Can everybody feel this scene right here? Titus making that long trip from Corinth up to Macedonia. He finds the house that Paul is in. He knocks on the door. And what happens? You get like this wicked long bro hug. You know those things? Like close, but not too close, but kind of close. I love you, but you get like a 50-second one of those hugs. Can you picture the first meal together? Catching up on all the work of God in Corinth and the work of God in Macedonia, sharing stories, memories, excitement, talking, eating. Can you feel what's happening to Paul's spirits? Just with the presence of Titus, what's happening? It's comfort. It's consoling. It's cheering. He can get off the ground and at least sit up straight because his brother is with him. What's the big idea here? God comforts us through the devotion and the presence of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how he does it. In those dark moments when we feel like God is not there, he sends a faithful brother or sister to be with us. One of the hardest years of my life was also the year that I first came to gospel wakefulness. We would call that first season regeneration, conversion, being born again, whatever you want to call it. I was a teenager. And my year at school was horrible. You know how you can have those bad years as a teenager in school? And uh, they didn't quite have the anti-bullying campaigns that they do now. And so I was the brunt of a lot of bullying. And it was hard. Add to that that I was on fire for Jesus. And so I was talking about him a lot. And it made it doubly worse. And I remember struggling some with, oh, this is so weird, God. Come on, I know you saved me. And now you're letting me get beat up. And this is hard. And then, in the winter, we were driving up Route 1, yellow Subaru, stick shift. We were in the middle lane, and this guy cut us off from the right. And so, my mom swerved the wheel. We hit the guardrail in the middle, right by what used to be Hilltop Steakhouse. Oh, that breaks my heart to say used to be Hilltop Steakhouse. We hit that rail, spun around on Route 1. I was unbuckled in the back left and flew across to the back right and drilled my head on the window. Didn't break it, but cracked it. And then when we finally stopped, pickup truck ran into us from behind, and we skidded to the side of the road, you know where they sell the, the tops for the pickup trucks over there on the right side of Route 1? That's where we ended up in a heap in this Subaru. If you've ever been in an accident, it's terrifying, and it's emotionally draining, 
and it gets you scared and it gets you down, right? Have you been there in those moments or those days after an accident? So somehow we ended up where my mom was working and there was a youth pastor involved in our lives and he made the trip over there just to sit with me. And I just remember, maybe I was doing homework, I was in the corner of the room and I was as down as you can get, right? What is going on? Like I thought you were real at the start of this year and I experienced grace and I'm getting beat up at school and now you let me fly across the back of a car and I had this giant cherry on the side of my head and I was down and I will never forget his simple presence with me in that room. He was just doing his thing. He was devoted to Jesus. He was devoted to the kids in the life of that church and he just came over and he sat with me. And the comfort of Jesus was real to me through the love of this guy. At that place of being down, God was not frustrated. What's the matter with you? I saved you six months ago. Now you're going to go get down just because you got in a little car accident? Where's your faith, little man? No. His comfort was with me. And his comfort came to me through the devotion and the presence of an older brother of mine in Christ. Does everybody feel that? It's how God is with us over and over and over again. Now that does not happen in my story with my youth pastor or in Paul's story with Titus if Titus and my youth pastor are not devoted to Jesus and available, and present for others. It's the same exact thing in our text. Imagine if Titus was like that lady in Maine. Imagine if my youth pastor was like that lady in Maine. The means of God's comfort stopped. Keep that in mind. Let's move to our two application questions. Here they are. Think on them with me, and then we'll pray together. If you are up, Praise God. If you are up, have you been a means of comfort and grace to those who are down? Repent with me this morning if you have the attitude of frustration, disappointment, avoidance, rejection with people who tend to get down. That's a sin. That's not being like Jesus. Repent with me if you're not present for people in this room. I mean, why do we go so deep in community with each other? You gotta be there with people. You have to be available. You have to be present. Think of this month. How much of your schedule revolved only around you? Just you. In those times, you are not available for others. How many slots were there in your month where you could get down with somebody who's down and just embrace and love them and be present? It's a problem in American culture. We're not even around to comfort each other. Think about Titus. That man hustled from Corinth to Macedonia because he knew Paul needed him to be with him. Are you present 
with people in the life of this church, that you might be a comfort to them. What is your posture toward those who are down? I long for it to be like God, a self-awareness that I get to be a means of grace and comfort to others when I am up. And then lastly, if you are down, have you allowed God to comfort you through the presence of others? So there's two parts to this. The first is, do you believe the gospel that says that God is for you and he loves you and he wants to cheer you and comfort you? Man, when you're depressed, it is hard to believe that. When you're depressed, what's the only color that's before your eyes? It's black. That's it. Maybe some shades of gray. In that season, do you allow God to break through that, to bring comfort to you? Do you believe the words of Scripture, that he's a God who comforts the downcast? If you're down, the first thing I need you to do is just to begin to believe what is true about God, to be true about God towards you. He is for you, and he intends to comfort you. And do you allow God's comfort to come to you through others? What do we tend to do when we get down, when we're depressed, when it's just heavy? What do we do with the door in our room? We shut that thing. What do we do with that feature that I kind of love, block caller? We just start blocking everybody. We retreat. We isolate ourselves, and the darker it gets, the further we retreat, and the more we don't want to be around people. That's not the way of God's people. Anybody imagine Paul slamming the door shut on Titus? What did he do? He threw that door open, and he said, ah, bro hug. There's a pride there. Nobody understands how dark it is for me right now. Nobody's ever been under these kind of fears within and fightings without. Nobody could actually be of help to me. They don't get it. So I'm going to shut all you people out. You know how easy it is to do that as the lead pastor of a church? What's the lie that you believe? Nobody gets this. Nobody gets the weight that I have. Nobody's been around as long as I have been. Nobody's been to as many hospital visits and living room conversations. Nobody could be helpful to me right now. I'm going to shut everybody out, and I'm going to go have a pity party on the ground. That's a real temptation for me, for all of us. Don't shut out the means of God's comfort to you. He intends to comfort you, and he intends to do it through the people in this room. Let them in. Let them in. As we step into the season of Advent, which is marked by the craziest, wildest joy, let's allow God to cheer us through his gospel and through each other. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word. 
It's just two verses of Scripture that you've given us. And they can change everything for us in the times when we get down. Thank you that you do not remove pain and affliction and fighting and fear, but that you are with us in it. Thank you that you comfort us. Thank you that you comfort us through others. Would you teach Seven Mile Road to give and to receive the comfort of God when we're down, that our souls may be cheered, that your son may get glory. Hear my prayer for this and answer. Amen.